Sentinels of Freedom is a national nonprofit organization that supports severely wounded post 9-11 veterans complete their higher education with its Bridge for Education scholarships. Veterans receive comprehensive personalized support, financial assistance, financial planning, and mentoring to achieve success in their post-military careers. We treat this as an investment, not a charity. What they'll bring to communities and the economy across our nation in their after-service careers is an invaluable fact and our return on investment. Our donors can take great pride in the fact that they are helping these veterans who served our nation honorably and sacrificed so much to reach their objective of self-sufficient lives. Now, here's Mike Conklin, the founder, chairman, and CEO of Sentinels of Freedom Scholarship Foundation. Good afternoon. This is Mike Conklin, chairman and CEO of Sentinels of Freedom Scholarship Foundation, a veteran service organization that focuses on severely wounded and injured veterans post 9-11. We have obviously thousands and we enjoy helping them move on to their objectives and their goals in careers and education. Today on our podcast, Veterans Never Stop Serving, we have Eric Ballister, who was with combat controller with the Air Force, deployed into Afghanistan and injured there, now living down in Phoenix, and we're working with him to find some career opportunities. But Eric, your bio and your history and your service, 20 years of service as ending up a master sergeant in some very specialized warfare as a combat controller. Welcome. Thanks a lot, Mike. I appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me on this and Thank you for accommodating my schedule changing at the last minute. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. You and I haven't met personally. We've talked quite a bit. I hope to get down to see you as we look at some opportunities for you in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area. We've got a couple right now we're working on it and hopefully that'll go well. But uh, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and your motivation to join the military and how you progressed and kind of where have you been what you've done and where you're planning to go. I think people are really interested in the, the future of your goals and really want to hear about successes. And so give us a little update or overview of your life. Awesome. Yeah, Mike, I come from a family of service. So my grandfather served during the Korean war. My father served, my brother served in the Marine Corps 20 years. And so service has always been in my family. And so it was natural for me that was going to be in the cards. I grew up in Long Island, New York, moved to Arizona when I was a wee little guy. I know Arizona way better than I know New York. And I went to school there and met my wife there, met my wife in junior high in seventh grade, my best friend. We got married shortly after I joined the military in 1999 and going into the military I knew that service was for me, but I didn't understand what service meant. And it grew with me during my career. And I'll tell you, 9-11 was a forcing mechanism for uh, my service to change into what it was destined to become. After 9-11, it was very clear to me that my service was going to be on the front lines and it was going to be to have the largest impact on the battlefield. So I chose to go into a profession that leverages air power to project air power, to take that mighty hammer store and smash it on the enemy 
And I became very good at that job, which was a combat controller, as you had mentioned. So attaching to special operations teams as an individual and with highly trained individuals also that are very good at what they do and them being good at what they did helped me do my job to kind of calm things down when, when things went a little bit haywire. So it took me two years to become a combat controller. And then once I made it to combat controller, I said, I would like to try to go to the next level. And I went through an operator training course to be stationed at the Joint Special Operations Command. And I love what I did. It was an incredible job. I got a chance to affect the battlefield exactly how I wanted to and make our enemies pay. I worked with the world's best people, like the people that I worked with, Mike, that was the thing that my service naturally progressed into was to serve them, to serve the people to the left and the right of me was the most important part of my service. So leaving something like that was tremendously difficult. I had the culmination of my career was being on the rescue of Sergeant Bo Bergdahl, the prisoner of the war that was held captive for more than six years. It was a very important part of my career. And also another very clear part from my service was the individual, personal opinions aside, to go there and rescue an American soldier. It was very clear to me that it was about those individuals. So leaving 20 years doing that job, I've racked up some injuries also, had to drop a couple bombs on top of me as our teams were getting overran, causing several injuries. So that was very important for me that after 20 years, I had to prioritize myself. I had to begin healing and I had to go do something else. I had to go do, I had, I needed a new profession. I could no longer stay in this capacity because my bot, my mind, my body, my spirit couldn't take it anymore. So I began the process of retirement and then it became clear to me, I'm going to leave all this support that I have. This tier one support is the way that I like to call it. And it became very clear to me. I don't know what I'm going to do without this tribe, without these people backing me up. And it's all on my shoulders now. So I began the identity and this, this identity search or this attachment to an identity, removing myself from it and then looking for a new purpose. And looking for a new tribe at the same time while healing from traumatic brain injury and stress disorders, endocrine and sleep disorders. You name it, you've seen them all, Mike. It's it's the name of the game after 20 years of war. So I began my healing and then I also began seeking mentorship. And I've had a mentor of mine who, who said, you have to learn their language. You have to learn what the private sector is doing. And his opinion now was sales. So it was pretty easy for me to recognize, okay, I knew what it took to become really exceptional in my job in the military. And that was a pipeline. So I kind of tried to replicate a pipeline for my transition out of service. And that was an executive MBA. So I chose to go and get my get a business degree, but then be surrounded with people that were exceptional at what they did in their particular industries. And that was for me, the most valuable part of my education was just being surrounded with exceptional people in their field and learning a ton from them. So at the same time that I'm healing from 20 years of war, that was, that was pretty ugly at some times and seeking to become relevant in a new profession, if you will. Yeah. This was the time where 
it was very challenging because stresses are hitting me as I'm, as I've left the service and I'm missing my tribe and I'm missing that support. And I do believe God guides a lot of my actions. And I do believe that the people that I honor who have fallen on the battlefield that I consider the real, the people that I know are looking out for me and guiding me, they guided me to Sentinels of Freedom. And Sentinels of Freedom not only provided me with financial support, but they also gave me what I call the big green machine. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but the big green machine backs you up on the battlefield. Like the shit can be hitting the fan and the big green machine is going to bail you out at some point. And you got leverage all the firepower and all the support to win the day. And to me, that's what Sentinels of Freedom was. It was like the little green machine or the big green machine it replicated and provided the incredible support that I had to help me with mission success. And they genuinely, you guys genuinely cared about me. So throughout this process that got very challenging, moving into my next profession and trying to become relevant in something new, I had Havila and I had Wayne and I had you there to provide the support. They kind of guide me along the way as a confidant and as a friend as a sounding board, and then somebody who just is throwing little opportunities at me. Mike, you kept on checking in and like, here's another thing, here's something, and just checking back in for me. And I believe that was critical for this transition it, to become relevant, to, to start this next season for me. It's critical that I had some sort of support. There's only so much I'm capable of doing on my own. Right, right. Yeah. And that was critical. There was two noteworthy things that happened during my transition that were humongous challenges for me. One of them was losing a young Marine in my community. I'm very active in the veteran community. I sit on the veterans advisory board in the town of Gilbert and I help win Memorial Day and Veterans Day. And I'm active in the community. And a young Marine, 28 years old, ended up taking his life in March of last year. And he was suffering, he was suffering in silence. Right. And that was the first loss since leaving the military. And it hit me like a ton of bricks, Mike. Yeah. And Havila was there and I'm grateful for that because it ended up being something that I was not aware of. And I ended up turning it into something good, like yeah. a mantra of mine, what is this good for? And I partnered with his father and we held an event in the town to remember him, but then to bring resources to the community too, to say, Hey, yeah, you might be suffering. There's some things out here that can help you out. So yeah. it ended up being a fantastic event. And then this is what we talk about when we say veterans never stop serving. You're a great example of that and what you're doing in your community and a great example for other veterans coming home to emulate. Uh, it's a story that's told thousands of times in thousands of communities, what veterans do after service in their communities. They continue to volunteer. They can continue to support and create or support quality of life issues in those communities, whether it's volunteering on a little league team or doing things like you're doing with veterans or churches or whatever. It's a huge hidden resource across our nation. We don't see you all in your uniforms anymore, walking around. And, but you know, under the surface, that experience in the military is cornerstone of the foundation of the rest of your life. 
And I think it's, it's greatly under this to- story is not told a lot. And that's kind of why we like to do these podcasts is to talk about that. And you're, you're doing absolutely all the right things. Avila was a great advisor to you and case manager. And Wynn has been fantastic in his mentorship of many of our Sentinels in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area and, and some very tough cases. But, you know, you talk about losing your tribe and having to build a new tribe. And that's part of the transition that's difficult for a lot of people is it's hard to shed that military skin. And you can't ever ultimately shed it all. And you shouldn't. But I think what you mentioned about this young Marine is you never know when people are silently suffering. And all it takes is really somebody to talk to them. But you can't be there 24-7. They've got to talk back. They've got to walk towards the light, seek help. And a lot of them get through it just fine. The military suicide rate, people like to talk a lot about it. But let's look at the other side of it, the majority of veterans that come back that don't have these issues and do well getting into college, a career or a trade, and moving on into the future of their lives with family and kids and buying that first house and getting that first job and the first baby coming along. We constantly have stories from guys that we've helped 15 years ago that'll call and say, hey, Mike, we're moving to Phoenix or we're moving to Chicago and we got an opportunity there and our families, closer to our families or whatever. And it, it just, these kind of stories, you can't make this stuff up. And so we're all we're very proud of all of them. And I think we help a little bit. We walk at your side a little bit, but ultimately, as I say, often you carry 99.9% of the water in your future success. And we can act as kind of guides and sounding boards. So all of that is kind of what Sentinels does. And again, you're a great example of the program. As we look forward, thank God we don't have a lot of incoming wounded to our hospitals right now. But as things always happen, that can change overnight. We're in three very hot spots, Korea, Taiwan, Ukraine. And you can add on to Iran and all of everything. Who knows what's going to happen next? But what we found is that the American public has a very deep heart for our military and our veterans. Unfortunately, they really don't know what you do with only less than 1% of our population serving in our military. And so the stories, your stories, need to be told to remind people and to ask people to teach their children well about the service and sacrifice of those who end up joining our military and serving our nation. I just spent a couple of weeks out on the East Coast at Fort Eustis and Fort Bragg with my two Army sons. And I'll tell you, it's always inspiring for me as a non-veteran to go onto a military base. And I'm always treated with a lot of hospitality. And they let me get close to the sidelines of what they're doing. So I was able to speak with a couple of generals and commanders and also go to an exercise and watch the young soldiers work out. And it's beautiful. It's inspiring. I wish everybody and every civilian out there could see all the hard work and dedication that our military members spend. Do you you remember the commander of JSOC when you were there? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I was hanging out with him two weeks ago. So General Miller 
was yeah. one of the commanders. I got a chance to hang out with him, which was a humongous honor because yeah. he's the longest serving battlefield commander ever. Right. So to hang out with him and to shoot the shit with him was an honor to just see somebody like that who's had a humongous impact. 38 years of service. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, yeah, he was one of the commanders during the yeah. time when We're, was- we know Joe Votel very well, General Votel and uh, my middle son was the senior medic at JSOC for a while. What a, what an amazing organization or part of our military organization. So yeah, you were right in there at the peak of that tip of the spear, so to speak. It was a busy time. Yeah. And I did work under General Motel also. He was one of the commanders there. And I'm just blown away by those leaders. Whenever you get a chance to speak with them, their genuine compassion for their soldiers is unquestionable. Yeah. Something that I miss. I miss that, that sort of leadership. And I don't, unfortunately, I try to, I compare other leaders to those leaders and you'll never be around that again. So it's like, yeah, yeah. Comparison is the thief of joy. I've had, I had a friend tell me that. So I try not to hold people to those standards of leaders. But yeah. It's, it's a culture within a culture and right. it is different. I personally have all of you guys on the pedestal. I've, I've been around enough to understand as much as a civilian can, but I see that quite often and, and talking to retired military members and all the way up to generals and admirals. The transition for them is tough too. Um, it's hard for them to leave their commands and their, and have that close personal relationship with their soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines. It takes them a little while to transition also. Well well said, Mike. And not a lot of people recognize that the senior leaders, you kind of see them as invincible and never dealing with any stress. They can handle stress, but you're absolutely right. They are dealing with it too, and they need a little bit of support as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I know that corporate America, the corporations we deal with highly value veterans, but do they totally understand veterans? Right. That's our job is to kind of talk about understanding that this person comes to you basically shovel ready. He's been there. He's done that. He's in a different culture, but he's faced huge odds and very tough experiences. And while those types of experiences may not exist in corporate America, they're different challenges. And so you take somebody that's good at facing challenges and overcoming challenges. Now you have to channel that into what the corporations need in their organizations. And it's a little different, but you can always go back to the basic road measurements that you learned in the military and apply them as you do good things. Yeah, I'm so grateful for that, Mike. And that is transparent to me that you guys are doing that work. You're helping do that work. You're also holding us accountable by saying, hey, go profess, go, go seek development, go, prof- go seek professional development, something that you should never, that should never drop off your plate. So you're holding us accountable, but you're also assisting us in saying, hey, I found an organization that's culturally aligned and values attributes that you bring. And maybe it needs to be massaged a little bit and needs to take the blood out of the resume. That's another exceptional thing that you guys provide is you help break through those barriers, break through those challenges of us entering a brand new market or a brand new industry. Right. We don't think we have relevance. And Mike's sitting here saying, hey, listen, you would do great at this. Just trust me. 
This is something that you would do exceptionally. And here's why what you did before is relevant in this new industry and right. why it serves you. So I'm very grateful for that. For That's another thing that Sentinels has been able to do for me is. Well, we've, we've developed a great network of companies, but as I told you before, I don't recommend somebody to a company unless I know somebody in that company at a senior level. And I call them first and say, look, I've got this one of our graduates. He's done very well. He's been with us for a period of years, done everything we've asked him to do, and he's he's ready to go. Would you personally talk to him instead of going through the normal resume mind? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I won't say it, but mess. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting that they feel very, I won't say honored, but they really like to take on and advise a veteran in what their corporate culture is, what they expect. It's not a handout. They expect you to perform. You have to be competitive. And so we try to match those those opportunities up. And we've got a couple of them for you right now. And I think either one will be excellent for you. But all in all of this, I was reading a, a passage from a speech that Abraham Lincoln gave. And he talked about women, the mothers, sisters, wives of veterans and military people and how that was an integral part of the strength of the military and veterans. And so you have a wonderful wife and I'm sure she was very supportive through tough times. A lot of anxiety when you guys are deployed, but there's also just the training that you go through is intense. I mean, the tempo for special ops folks is it's constant and it can be hard on the family too. And I think you, you obviously were very lucky in finding a a partner that supported you and probably helped quite a bit through your career and your transition and where you're going now. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, she was the piece that kept it all together, without a doubt. With being gone, I calculated it's four years. So out of my entire 20-year career, I was gone for four years. Right. And that was 10 years straight of a deployment every single year. And not only a deployment every year, but then four months at a minimum of training or alert where I was either not home at all or I was going doing something. Right. So she had to, she had to be mom and dad at the same time. And not only did she have to do that, but she raised our son as well, who was suffered as well. My, the spouses and the children are likely to suffer the, from secondary PTS as service member themselves are getting injured or Things are happening to them, but their spirit, their mind, their body, the family is the one that is left to deal with it. And they're not the ones that get resources given to them. Right. So I believe that I was destined to be married to this woman who I built a, the best friendship with. And without having that foundation of a friendship, I would have likely suffered the I think it's a 96%, 92 yeah. to 96% failure rate for marriages within the community that I came from. And it was, I beat the odds, but I didn't beat it. She beat it. I think that she was the one that was the critical piece to say, I'm also not going to back down from any fight. Yeah. She is a, she saw something. A, yeah. She saw something. A woman. She saw something you in you back in the seventh and gra grade. And 
put a big target on your back and didn't That's right. <laughs> That's right. And she put her time in. She definitely put her time yeah. in. She served her country in that way to be able to be there for me as a support, both when I'm gone and then when I come home. And she still is in the fight too. She's yeah. still bearing with me as I'm it's starting to get into a little bit of a momentum after leaving the job and then and what I did and I yeah. loved and I was great at it too to leave that I was creating all sorts of havoc for her where she's just like okay where it was difficult but this is impossible <laughs> to be able to manage somebody like this so yeah. she was an amazing woman she's now it, to, it she's of service as well she, we're both we both have been called to serve continuously so yeah. She's now employed with an organization called the Arizona Coalition of Military Families. And what she does is she's part of an organization that provides resources to veterans and their family members up to 400 different organizations that right. do very specific things through the organization that was formed over 14 years ago, I believe Senator mm -hmm. McCain helped form it. So we understand that this is, this is not just a, a profession. This is service is in both of our lives, it'll continue to be in both of our lives. Yeah. Now, how that looks, I'm not sure. It's been pivoting, but it's very clear to me that being of service is without a doubt destined for both my wife and I. Service above self. And you're right, it can change. You can do something on this side for a little while and change and go to this side, but I suspect you'll always be doing something in that realm. And that's the kind of person you are. Not, by the way, not everybody is like that. There's a lot of people that are just totally self-serving. And okay, that's their choice. But with all of the different organizations out there helping veterans, it's kind of hard to keep a track of all of them, but not one organization can cover all the need. And so this total group out there, 35,000 veterans organizations, really create a fabric of support that's needed. It's not something the government can do. This is really the, what I believe is this is a part of our, uh, our responsibility as citizens and communities is you guys go off in your service and then you come back and sometimes you come back beat up. Okay. Let's look at the potential of each individual and say, how can we help you get to where you want to go? And then I call it growing big ears. We listen and, <laughs> and try to network you in. And again, you guys carry all the heavy water. So. I love the growing big ears thing. And yeah. you're right. The individualized approach is the one that really is going to end up be, yeah. becoming the best return on investment for whoever is providing services. The 35,000 agencies out there doing it. If it's not an individualized approach, you might create some really great peak experience for them. You might do something that's really fun and takes their mind off of whatever their challenges right. are. But right. if you want the long-term effect, don't hand them anything. If you really want a change agent formed, challenge them. And the big years thing is brilliant. I love that. Yeah. It's just being present. And I think that you guys do that exceptionally yeah. well. You are present it, without a doubt uh, as we're transitioning through the different seasons right. out of service. Hey, I'm looking at a picture of you with President Obama. It must be, have been overseas, maybe. I don't know. It was. Yo, is it? He came over and you got to meet him. Oh, cool. That yeah. He, cool. we were doing security for him. His secret service said, 
we are not the specialists out here. You guys got it. We said, we know. Yeah. We know we got it. So we've had a chance to do do security foreman. Had a chance to chat with him a little bit. And he said, hey, I'm going to shake every single one of these soldiers' hands out here. There was over 3,000 soldiers that were out there. And he shook every single one of their hands. And then when he shook my hand, he still had a pretty good grip. So personal opinions aside, yeah. it was kind of cool to be able to provide security for POTUS yeah. and to feel like we were the competent agency out there to provide that. That also made me feel pretty good. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, my son, my oldest son was on a Ranger reconnaissance team. Oh, three actually crossed a couple of days before. Bush announced the invasion. He had a Air Force combat controller with him named Scott Sather. Yes. And they got caught in tank trap out in a little town called Baggio, right? But, and Scott, unfortunately, was killed. But, you know, he had great things to say about the combat controllers. He said we could not operate without having one of them inserted into our team. And it shows you that importance of having a really a professional that understands air power, different types of aircraft, different types of munitions. You don't want to call in a B-52 to knock out a little hut. And Rangers... Definitely not next to you. Yeah, it? <laughs> it's not and, you. Yeah, Rangers would probably do that, right? <laughs> just get in some B-52. But so they wanted surgical stuff and that's what they started doing. So I, I know a little bit about combat controllers. Uh, I used to consider myself, Mike, a ranger in a previous, in a previous lifetime spirit animal. I got my ranger tab. I was an Air Force, uh, the young E4 in the Air Force, the only Air Force guy in my class. And right. I had a, I had an attachment affinity to the army and I considered myself closer aligned to an army person than right. an Air Force person, but love them. Love me some rangers. Yeah. Tell me a funny story about ranger school. Everybody's got one. Ooh, oh, I have plenty of them. So my funniest story was, and now it's funny, is the coldest I've ever been. And we're getting ready to run an obstacle course. I think it's minus 14 degrees with a wind chill. So the wind chill is just cooking and we have to jump in the water and... As soon as I jumped in the water, doing a, you're doing a pull up, you have to do a pull up and then you do monkey bars and you have to drop in the water. And the only reason the water's not frozen is because it's mud and sludge. And I remember dropping in the water and you'd have to low crawl under barbed wire. And I remember looking at the guy to the left of me doing the same thing. And both of us were actively dying right there looking at each other. And we saw, I felt like my battery if you had a visual depiction of a battery that charges your body, I was witnessing my battery just draining from the cold, how cold it was, and just slowly freezing, turning into ice during it. I did not think it was funny when I was going through it, but it was, now I look at it and I look at challenging things like that. I'm like, at least it's not ranger school bending yeah. phase and it's minus 17, minus 14 degrees with wind chill. And I'm yeah. having to get in water. Yeah. Brutal. Funny stuff. Well, Eric, I'm going to thank you again. And I look forward to meeting you personally down at Scottsdale in the near future. Continuing to work with you on your career opportunities and progress there. Obviously, we are very proud of you and proud of your wife also. And thank you. All of your friends that you worked with in the military. And I know you, you stay in contact with them. And I think that's 
very healthy. Just picking up the phone, calling your buddies and checking in on them is an easy thing to do, but it can make a huge difference in a day of somebody's life just to call them and say, howdy, you know, hey, remember when we did this? How are you doing? Those kind of things that only you can relate to. I think that's very important. So every podcast, we honor a company that we've been involved with. Today, we're honoring Lennar Homes, nationwide builder. I think one of the large, or if not the largest home builder in the country, who has made continuous commitments to the Sentinel's Freedom Program and the veterans that we serve. So thank you to Lennar. Thank you, Eric, for taking the time coming on with us. And we're excited about your future. So this is Mike Conklin, Sentinels of Freedom, signing off.